0: Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Curious Relationships. As always, I'm your host Megan Holmgren, and today we are joined by licensed marriage and family therapist Margaret Doherty. Hello. Hello. Along with Dr. Helena Roderick, supervisor psychologist working with LGBTQ populations for Northwell Health. Hello there. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret is apprehensive on this last Already. day of recording. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Dr. Roderick, as I was kind of explaining before we started recording, uh, what I have done here is scoured the corners of Reddit to find a prompt. Uh, and I have it here in front of you, face down. Um, this is Margaret's favorite part of the episode. Oh, yeah. uh, so you guys can flip them over now, and I'll read them, and we'll, we'll get into it. Okay. My 28 female husband, 30 male, of 8 years, keeps making remarks about our, quote, gay child, and I'm livid. My husband has taken to making comments about how our one-year-old is gay, whether it be saying that specifically or taking on an effeminate tone and lisp when talking to or about him or gesturing like a a wrist flip. I don't know if a person is already gay at birth, if they become gay, or some combination of the two. Furthermore, I couldn't give a flip-flopping F... What his sexual identity turns out to be. What I don't want is my son being confused, hurt, or manipulated uh, by offhand distasteful comments made by his father. If he is gay, wouldn't he feel mocked, overhearing, or remembering this shit? If he isn't, wouldn't he feel ashamed? His father's commentary isn't needed either way. I, for one, do not believe that my my one-year-old son's enjoyment of feeling or wearing silky blouses of mine are a testament to gayness, Nor his penchant for shiny things, usually jewelry of mine. Nor the fact that he coos like a dove. He's not learned to talk yet. This is how his baby talk sounds. Nor that he loves pink and will fight his sister over her crocheted baby blanket. Nor that he is in the 10th percentile for his age, very slight and daintily, but built. It doesn't help that his sister is huge, very aggressive, loud, and sporty at five years old. At first I treated these comments like a joke, but they now occur several times a week. My husband has also mentioned that we won't get any grandkids at this rate because our daughter is shaping up to be a lesbian. But he doesn't keep revisiting these comments toward our daughter. My husband keeps saying I am overreacting when I tell him to stop. He's gone to drag shows with me. I have gay and lesbian friends, though lesbians far outweigh the gay men. My husband is cool with them. He's never acted homophobic. He's been hit on by gay guys and turned them down without hostility. I don't know why the obsession with our son's behavior. TLDR, Husband keeps pointing out behaviors in our one-year-old son that if he were to be a grown man would lead others to label him as gay. At first, I treated it like a joke. He made these comments about our daughter, too, who is a tomboy, but he's not letting up and it's starting to royally piss me off. Should I lighten up and hope it dies down? If it's unacceptable, how should I make sure the comments stop?
1: Well, that's a loaded one.
0: Yep. Okay. <laughs> I did warn you, Margaret. I saved. You did. did. <laughs> Saved, saved the biggest one. Um, so to start, like, what are both of your initial reactions to this?
1: I don't think I can say my initial reactions to this. <laughs> um, I think that as a couple, right, so right off the bat, mm-hmm. as a couple's therapist, they're not communicating effectively, he's not hearing her. I mean that that's just like basis line without even going into the content mm-hmm. of what is going on um, and then there's the parenting piece, um, see even, I'm a little lost for words this time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean I'm going to look to you to see <laughs> because I actually can't and um. Because usually, you know, when you're in the therapy room, you don't get all this at once like this. It comes out over time. Or you have an idea, not like (laughs) Megan surprising (laughs) us.
2: So what this first prompted me to think about is about um, the wide variation in sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. in gender expression, in presentation, and that... That's the kind of discussion I would want to have with this family mm-hmm. is just that there is no box in which you put sort of all the male behaviors and a box for all the female behaviors. So I, I that's just what jumps out at me mm-hmm. as someone who works with LGBTQ young people and really LGBTQ identifying people of all ages mm-hmm. is this man seems to be approaching things in a very binary way. Yes. And I feel like there's a need for some education around the full spectrum and the full continuum.
1: Absolutely. And I think I'm looking and I'm reading this over and over like the things that she's identifying that he identifies mm-hmm. to me like I would never th- I would never look at that and be like oh that's gayness. Like yeah. It's sensory, it's feel, it's touch. Especially for a one-year-old. Right. And, like, the sister's blanket, I think it's just that it's the sister's and not his. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's pink. Right. So I think that's where I'm getting the hard time reading it because I'm, like, I would never think any of that for a Mm one-year-old or even, like, really anyone.
2: Yeah. Like, And, in fact, there was a time historically where pink was a traditionally masculine color. So it's, you know, in our society now that it's sort of interpreted as more feminine but that has not always been the case so even that color pink like inherently there's nothing feminine about it
1: I didn't realize
0: that
2: actually that's interesting I
1: love my fiance in pink
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I you know um, I'm not so old but I can remember a time when some of the things she's saying were the kind of like um, stereotype yeah stereotypically held views of what she's saying gayness might look like that doesn't mean it ever has actually been what gayness would look like. Um, But I I can remember a time and it just seems like he has these kind of very like outdated views. Right. Um, I want to say
2: teens today maybe would call that like old school or whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So I know we'll definitely get more into the kind of LGBTQ plus aspect of this way more. But before we do, I did sort of want to first dive in and, and Margaret to your point, like this is there's a dynamic going on here between mom and dad. Um, it sounds a lot like there's hurt here, maybe some thinly veiled, I, maybe it's a stretch to say hate, but definitely prejudices. Um, what can that do to that relationship and what can it do even more so to a parent-child relationship if that's being directed towards his, their children?
1: Well, if this can—I mean, the kid's being traumatized, right, like Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. The five-year-old could be traumatized by it over Mm -hmm. and—you know, a five-year-old definitely understands way more than a one-year-old. So if the five-year-old is overhearing this stuff, are they going to look at it as a negative? Or if that five-year-old is identifying more male than female, well, I can't tell anybody this because they're saying all this about my brother. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way that I could say anything.
0: Well, and it seems like he's made comments about his 5 year old Yes. Uh, you know, not maybe mm-hmm. not with such frequency, but it ha- they have been made. And, and that was the next point I was going to get to. Um, I think as we've been spending too much time together. <laughs> but, um, you know, their daughter is five. And, you know, I have a three-year-old. She's a little sponge. She oh, yeah. hears everything. Oh, she yeah. understands way more than before I had kids I would have ever thought a three-year-old could understand. She understands, um, you know, context and conversational cues and stuff like that so she's if, if he's saying this to her whether it's about her or her brother or anywhere where she can overhear it what is that doing to a child i'm sure you know the 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 focus here is on the one-year-old on the son and i'm sure there's a lot that we could dive into and like what that does to him and what it would continue to do growing up if the behavior isn't changed but she's old enough to understand now yeah so and what is that doing mm-hmm.
1: She's probably hearing more than they think. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I would like, mm-hmm. your parents are sitting at the kitchen table. Your ear is, like, really listening to what they're saying. And five-year-olds are smarter now than when I was five. <laughs> I mean, it could—it's modeled behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So then is she going to go out into the world, and if she has a classmate that has, like, a blanket that's pink or that is wearing a silk shirt or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then start to identify them in that way and insult them. Right? Because Or to her brother. Or to or to her brother. Yeah. And I mom says she tells him to stop, but I wonder how mm-hmm. much mom tells him how much it hurts her. Mm-hmm. Right? Like and going against the behavior and saying to the dad, I don't want you to do this. Why are you doing this? You're so mean, is going to make him defensive, right? Stop mm-hmm. overreacting. If she says to him, Hey, this really upsets me that you're speaking about our children in this way, that you're speaking about gay or lesbian in this way. All of this makes me feel really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because of my values, right? It comes down to values. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, he's been hit on before by gay men, and, like, it's no big deal. And sometimes for people who have trouble in this area, it's different when it's in your own home. Mm Outside the home, fine. In my home, my own children, my own family, different story. Yeah,
0: and that's one thing I wanted to ask both of you about Mm -hmm. is how how common is that in, you know, your professional experiences of seeing someone who might be, maybe we'll stop short of saying an ally to this community, but at least accepting of or can coexist peacefully without, like, raising a stir, but then when it is in their own family – They have very sort of, you know, rigid and perhaps worse views on what that means and how they view that person in their family.
2: So I was just going to offer that certainly there's all kinds of unconscious biases that Mm -hmm. we can carry with us. And so, yes, there's very like overt behaviors that the wife can identify that are like, not problematic, mm-hmm. but we're certi- certainly getting a lot of information here about what's going on inside this man's head. And as you said, when it comes to his family. And I think that points to kind of the deeper sense of how he truly deep down feels mm-hmm. about the population. Yeah. So to both of you then. Um, because I
0: feel like there might be some crossover a little bit in the types of work that you do, but still different enough that maybe your your answers might be a little bit different or complement one another. Um, if this woman came into you and unloaded this post basically onto you, how would you counsel her? What would you say?
1: I would first validate her experience. Mm-hmm and say this that it was extremely difficult yeah. and that it's good that she's asking for support outside the house outside friends family people who know the situation mm-hmm. and probably a lot of education too for her and then maybe education down the line she could share with her husband i would if she if i was seeing her individually i would say maybe couples therapy to kind of mm-hmm. talk about this and then maybe even Down the road, they might keep an open mind to family therapy if Mm -hmm. one of these children tend to identify, right? Like, if that happens as they identify as gay, lesbian, transgender, whatever it may be, that they get support around that together Mm. because that is going to be challenging. and. I think even if dad can work to acceptance, right, and love and all of that, they will also have to be grieving, right, Mm. around what he thought his life would be like with his children. And that's not to say that he won't love his kids and accept them, but there is that other side of it of like, oh, I thought this was going to look this way, and now it doesn't, and I just have to process that.
0: Yeah, I definitely, sorry, I'll let you go in a second, but I could definitely see, um, and I don't, I don't personally share this view, but I could see someone who maybe had this very heteronormative view of what their child's life would look like, and if they're having to reconcile the idea that that might not actually be what their child's life will look like, it is. That's something that that you might grieve, you know. Um, and I know there's a lot that goes into that. You know, it could be an inherent fear of challenges that they might face in their life, or biases, or bullying, and, and on and on. But If this is kind of the tone that's being set at home to start, it's not really getting off on the
2: right foot, I think. Yeah, and I think a a very therapeutic approach would be to certainly, as a therapist working with this family, know that fear may be driving a Mm -hmm. lot of these behaviors and also um, lack of knowledge. And so I think... You know, should you be interfacing with this couple or with this family unit, like coming from that point of understanding where perhaps dad might be coming from rather than just leaning into the anger that might be very natural to feel towards this dad? Um, but, yeah, I would certainly do, as we discuss, a lot of validation if I was meeting with mom alone and hearing these kinds of things, mm-hmm. really unpacking the education Um and so I don't know that she can kind of make sure the comments stop, which is kind of how she phrased her wish, yeah. but... um of working on setting expectations for like a dialogue and for helping him understand the consequences of these kinds of choices that he's making that, you know, certainly if the five-year-old is a sponge, Mm -hmm. is going to observe these things, is going to perhaps interpret certain messages as it's not safe to kind of express myself within Mm -hmm. this family. And that could certainly snowball down the line into all kinds of challenges. And then should this kind of dynamic persist with this one-year-old son, like, again, just the challenges can sort of snowball. So really starting to unpack things with this family and empower them about how can they choose to uh, communicate in a healthier manner. Mm -hmm. You know, can he be open to understanding that there is all sorts of uh, normative behaviors for his son and that, um, honestly, should his son choose to have a gay sexual orientation, like maybe that's not the way to communicate around his son's gay ex, uh, sexual orientation
1: it could also ruin the marriage right yep she could get to the point where she says like i'm not staying i'm not subjecting my children to this we're gone
0: so i was gonna save that one for later but we'll get into it now then um i had that thought occurred to me right because um I'm definitely not someone who knee jerks into like, you got to leave, get out. Hmm. But in this one, that, that honestly was my knee jerk thought. And, and it probably is partially coming from a place of being a mother. And like, I would do literally anything to protect my child. And I can imagine that at some point that, you know, that instinct is going to kick in for her too. But can she get the behaviors to stop? Because as much as it might be, we're gone, that's not, it's not as easy said, like, there, he's still going to be a part of their life in some capacity, short of her like going gone girl on him right. um, with her kids in tow, which would be a much larger issue, I think, for her and all of them. He's still going to have a presence in their life. And so her maybe removing herself from the marriage and, sure, maybe she gets majority custody and he sees them on a less frequent basis. If he's still making those comments, they're still, I would think, having... Going to have a damaging impact on the children, and maybe as they're growing up, they can kind of reconcile that with therapy, or what, with therapy, oh, uh, or with whatever else to say, I am who I am. You know, my mom accepts me, and that's great. And my dad's kind of a jerk, and or maybe more than a jerk, but I'll be polite here. Um, but like, can can she just pick up and move? And would like would that really change, or is there other ways to, I guess, try to? course correct this
1: i would think expressing how she feels Mm -hmm. not just don't do that it's wrong to do that don't say that yeah um trying to work with him and educate him right also there's what did he learn growing up what was his family's dynamic like right like it all spreads out it's not just this dynamic Mm -hmm. so like looking at what did he learn what did he grow up with how did his parents view it his family Not to say that it's right, it's modeled behavior, though. And if we can understand at least where it comes from, where it starts, then we can look at being aware of it and process it. He may actually think that these comments aren't offensive. Yeah, right. He may think he's joking around, it's ha-ha funny, and it's not, and he's not clicking to that because maybe his parents or his family joked like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe even joke like that to somebody in the family that was gay, right? And they were like, all right. And that person didn't say... That's
2: offensive. Please don't say that. So he may think it's normal,
1: quote unquote normal.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's where the mom's feelings are so critical, that she's explaining, this hurts me. I feel sad. I feel upset. And so that it's not about right or wrong. It's about, look, this has a significant impact on me emotionally. Mm -hmm. We are in this partnership together. Like, can we have a space of, like, respecting that these are my values? And um, as you said, like, it would be super interesting to understand, like, this man's history in terms of, you know, toxic masculinity and Mm -hmm, so on. Like, mm -hmm. how did he become this person who is imposing these views on a one-year-old who is interpreting fairly innocuous behaviors Mm -hmm. and putting this label on them that is wholly unnecessary for a one-year-old? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's one. He doesn't know what anything is.
2: (laughs) Right. He he coos like a dove. He's he's baby-talking.
1: He's right he not, can't
2: even talk right? right, right. He's not telling us what his sexual orientation is, yeah. right.
1: And he may know deep down inside him which what that is and when he can speak and he can express that. Okay, then we have to talk, but he's he's one,
0: yeah we've uh, I sort of have a sense of what I, I think the answer will be, but we've talked a lot in in previous episodes, Margaret, you and I, um about maybe picking battles. Picking the right approach into things, um, maybe looking more inward in certain um, cases. I feel like in this one, I don't know that she needs to do a whole lot of inward, you know, kind of introspection. But is this one where we would we pick the fight? This is the fight. Oh, to fight. this would
1: be the hill I would die on. Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think most moms that are feeling the way that she is feeling mm-hmm. would decide that this is the hill I'm going to die on. Right? Like this is not something she's going to be able to say like. Okay, this is just who he is and I'm not going to try. I'm mm-hmm. not going to just turn my head like she's absolutely not going to let this one go. Yeah. And I don't think she should.
2: And I would think of it in terms of like escalating assertive behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, so it doesn't start out hopefully in an aggressive kind of confrontation, but these I statements about her feelings and sort of see where it goes okay, from there it goes from there. And and actually that
0: we've talked a lot about, you know, getting educated herself and then being able to incorporate that into conversations. Um I'm I'm a little curious how he'd re- react even to the I feel statements, which I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those as a tool, but they're tough.
1: Um, I I think just having like a softened startup of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is not a conversation you're going to have after he makes the remark, right? Because mom is going to be emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. She is going to come out harsh right away. Understandably so from her point of view. Yeah. This is, we're sitting, we're watching TV on a Saturday night, we're calm, we had a great day. Hey, can I talk to you about something? There's been something that's really been bothering me. Yeah. Because if she goes at him, she, he gets defensive,
2: he's not listening. He's yeah. like, all right, she's, ju- she's judging me, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that... The knee-jerk reaction, if you're confronted, is then going to be to formulate your defense. Mm -hmm. And then you don't even hear what's being uttered to you, really. You're just in your head formulating your defense. And honestly, you know, I don't know him as a parent aside from what's here. So even if she can have some gratitude in her heart and her mind and verbalize some of that to him about something he does right in his parenting, Mm -hmm. butter him up, and then really start to unpack this big issue.
1: Yeah, because I, I think that—I can imagine there's other dynamics within this relationship where communication is an issue. hmm This is the one that's, like, making it blaring in her face that he's not hearing me. Yeah. And he's hurting me and potentially
0: hurting both of our children. So, to that end— um... You know, I I will say that they're, at least in me, trying to do some research for this episode and, and prepare for it. There's not a whole lot of um, research about, you know, parent interactions in an age group quite this young as it relates to negative and positive and the, the correlation. It's a lot more about teens and that kind of adolescent population. But um, to, to caveat this next bit with that, Um I found some statistics, and it's worth, I think, just putting out there so that people can understand, because we've talked about a a decent amount so far about how this could be harmful to the son, to the daughter, to both of them, um, to their relationship. Uh, There was a a study that I found that uh, said family rejection is strongly associated with mental health problems and suicidality, substance abuse, and sexual risk. Uh, it goes on to say, youth with highly rejecting families are often forced to leave the home, leading to overrepresentation of LGBTQ teens in the homeless youth population and foster care system. Thus, exposing um, them to uh, more kind of risky contexts. Uh, for example, uh, and a decrease in uh, practical and, and you know tangible support from parents. Um, can lead to increase in certain HIV risk behaviors um, among young gay and bisexual men. Uh, it's also been linked to an increased de- uh, uh, rates of depression, as I said, suicidality, substance abuse. Um, and they, they did say, which I thought was very convenient for my research for this one, it's less clear if the presence of one supportive parent is enough to buffer these negative impacts of having an unsupportive or a rejecting parent.
2: So, in general, the resiliency literature going back to like the 70s so across the decades will Mm -hmm. kind of make a blanket statement about having one person, one ally, is like going to make all the difference for Mm -hmm. you. That's a very general statement. When we're talking about these kinds of families, I think it is very complicated because mm-hmm. we're not just talking about having an ally and some neutral, we're potentially having an ally and someone who's overtly making, rejecting, traumatizing kind of statements, and that's something— very different. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, it is so helpful that you brought those statistics and those different sequelae up. It's super helpful for people to understand that we're talking about some very serious matters. Yeah. And hopefully that can empower certain family members that you have a voice, you have a role to play in your teen baby child whatever Mm -hmm. in their life you have an important role you have power and i think certainly for the parents of the teens Mm -hmm. they lose sight of that sometimes yeah i guess and you sort of sort of nodded to it but the
0: one of the questions i have from those statistics because they are they're very drawing, they're very serious and and it's not light subject matter right Mm -hmm. when when this happens um but, but to the point, you know, a lot of them are to how to talk to teens or talk about teens and the family dynamics with LGBTQ teens. Is there an age where all of these risks kind of start being more present? Um you know, not to keep bringing my daughter up, but she like, she tells me I'm a big kid when I'm seven. So like, is there a hard number that here's the age where like all of these things really start, they might have a little bit of an impact beforehand, but it starts really piling on, say at like 12 or 13, or is there a number to it? Um, Or can the presence of a rejecting parent or parents be damaging at any age um, say one in five for the context of this one. Um, and maybe even before the child realizes their own sexual identity or orientation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it can be so damaging even early on. I think certainly as we approach middle school and the teen years. Mm-hmm. There are major red flags um, when we're talking about these kinds of rejecting behaviors, absolutely. But, you know, depression can be seen in children, not just in teens. And so, yes, the prevalence numbers for self-harm, for depression, for substance use, of course, have a real spike in those middle school and teen years. Mm -hmm. But things can be very harmful way before that. So I wouldn't sweep any of this under the carpet just because we're talking about little ones, not at all.
1: And I think sometimes the parents don't realize the resources that are out there for them, for their kids. I used to work at one of the runaway homeless youth shelters in Nassau County, and we did get a lot of LGBTQ kids that were running from home because they either their parents found something in their rooms or they came out to their parents. And really then, you know, you get one side of the story from the kid and then sometimes you get on the phone with the parent and they're like, we definitely were reactive, but we want the child home and they need resources. They need help. Mm-hmm. They they knee jerk react. The child goes, I'm leaving, right? Or goes to the school counselor and the school counselor, you know, helps them get somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. And then when the parents can get on the phone with someone, they can say, all right, talk to me, help me understand where can I go? What can we do? We don't want this to be the outcome. Yeah. We reacted poorly in the moment. Yeah.
2: And that's where I really encourage that regardless of whether you fully understand about sexual orientation or gender identity or expression or whatever, Can you pause and just let your child know, I love you Mm -hmm. no matter what. I accept you for who you are. And then, you know, maybe it's going to be a journey. And maybe there will be grief and loss and all of those things. But conveying that love to that child is, Mm -hmm. like, essential. And then everything can go from there. Do you think that there's power in acknowledging that grief?
0: To the child or, you know, to the person in your life who's saying this, you know, in this context, we'll go with child because I think that kind of parent-child dynamic is a little bit stronger than maybe a friend or a cousin or something. But, like, can you, can you say, like, I love you as you are. I love you no matter what, and I accept this about you. It's going to take me a second to, like, get to a place of comfort with this because it brings up a whole new set of worries, like we said about, you know, bullying and and kind of, or worse, um, you know, I've had this picture of what I thought your life would look like, and that's going to take me a second to reconcile it. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't support you. I just I just need a second. Is that okay to say? Absolutely. I, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like,
2: you don't want to sugarcoat things, mm-hmm. and just, um, you know, your child will be able to read some of your nonverbals, yeah. and so you can lead with some honesty, and you're not going to harp on that and, like, really unload your grief on mm-hmm. them. Like, that's not cool. Right but certainly acknowledging that it's a journey and you're on that journey. You're not stagnant, you are trying to move, it's just gonna take some time. I think is super understandable.
1: And I've worked with kids and their parents where whether the pronouns have changed or mm-hmm. they wanna go by a different name and the parent you know, uses the old pronouns and the old name, but acknowledges it, apologizes for it, says I'm mm-hmm. trying. Yes. Most of the time, the kid will be like, I totally understand. It's a big change. You right. called me this name for 13 years, and now I'm saying call me this? Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. But as long as, like, the parent doesn't, like, huff and puff up, about yeah. it or, like, roll their eyes when the kid corrects them, as long as they're like, I messed up, I apologize for messing up, the yeah. kid usually is like, thanks. Like, I get mm-hmm. it. At least they're trying.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's, I would imagine, a a big sort of adjustment for them too, because, you know, we've on the well we've talked to and followed people and highlighted people who are are trans and even they say like it's a weird thing to admit to yourself. It's a weird truth to to speak out loud, even if you don't speak it out loud. Yeah, like in your own brain, yeah, that's a it is a big thing. So I'm sure to your point, they would be understanding as long as it is a little bit of self awareness and like oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry you know like I didn't
1: yeah I, I think- called
0: you. Especially at the beginning. Timmy, and now you're Jane, and I'm so sorry, not, you know, but... Um.
2: And I think the trans community is so understanding in that respect and mm-hmm. really appreciative of those efforts. And I think that's um, really important. And, uh, you know, as long as families are trying to kind of lower those rejecting behaviors and increase the accepting behaviors, and research does support that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually kind of toes
0: in nicely to a, a question I wanted to ask and. Uh, you know, we have touched on the damaging effects of, of maybe a negative or rejective um, presence in your life as a member of the LGBTQ community. What are some of the ways that a supportive family or friend presence can positively impact? Because um, I don't want to just dwell on the negatives. And maybe that's one thing in this prompt, specifically, When if they get to that point, she can say, like, these are things that have will help them to grow and flourish if they do end up being I'm sure there are some that no matter what for your child no matter what their orientation is would still be helpful but um yes what are some of the ways supportive um can impact
2: Yeah. So I think if we were talking about someone who has like a transgender uh, identity, you'd want to definitely think about shifting those pronouns, Mm -hmm. using the name that they are choosing to use, being respectful in those ways. Certainly starting discussions around what would be helpful for them in their social transition or depending on their age and their medical transition. So really having that dialogue with that young person about how can I support you feeling like you're going to lead your most authentic life. And I think it's hopefully going to go beyond just acceptance into like how do we celebrate your identity so do mm-hmm. we you know in the month of june go to pride events mm-hmm. um do we you know watch movies about lgbtq people do we you know say nice complimentary things about celebrities who identify in the community like just um thinking about how do we introduce role models how do we make it okay you know that this is just a part of our world to um have gender diversity or diversity and sexual orientation
1: and I've seen a lot of times just acting, quote-unquote, normal, regardless of what they're wearing, what name they're being called with, yes. like, outside people, that it's not even, like, a flinch for the parent. It's like, oh, this is my child, mm-hmm. right? Because that, I think, is the biggest way they can feel supported and loved if they're treated
0: just the same as before and after. Yeah. Okay. Uh I am curious. So, and I am sure there's maybe not as as related to this prompt, but uh, if there are parents listening, or family members listening, or friends listening, even that think that a loved one um, might be gay, um, lesbian, trans, bi- like wh- how do you let them tell you, or the, or are there ways that you can kind of Maybe subtly let them know that you are a safe space or you're someone that it would be okay to kind of speak that truth to. Um, Or are there ways you can show your support without maybe necessarily having that conversation with them?
2: Yeah, so I think certainly conveying that you're an ally to the community. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly like in our offices, there are rainbows everywhere. There are ways to send a message that I am cool with the population, regardless of whether I identify under that umbrella or not. Just, um, I think, being able to say complimentary things, not, you know, saying the things that are in this scenario, for instance. Um, So I think that that says a lot. Um, I think sort of the golden rule is generally you don't out someone else. So I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, encourage them to be aggressive in initiating a full on conversation, but indeed setting that stage in a safe way.
1: I would agree and I think that if you're accepting of your friend or whoever it is in other decisions they make mm-hmm. in their life and you're not judgmental about those things, they might be like, okay, this person seems to love me and accept me mm-hmm. for even like the dumb behavior I have. Like <laughs> like when I got too drunk at 15 and they had to like bring me home. And they call me the next day and they're like, how you feeling? Instead of like, why'd you put me in that position, right? Like that kind of acceptance to be, okay, this person seems to have my back. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm going to be able to tell them this.
2: And we do see more and more um, that teens are coming out to their families at younger ages. Mm -hmm. So certainly, I think as a society, with certain exceptions, um, we're headed in a healthier direction, that teens feel safer. There are role models out there, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're having those conversations.
1: And I even think, even though I don't love it, but like TikTok, there's, you know— People post videos of Mm -hmm. them coming out to their family and how nervous they are before and what they're going to, you know, I don't know how they're going to react or I'm going to tell my siblings before I tell my parents. And Mm -hmm. it's such a welcoming and inviting and loving reaction. Yeah. That I think even just being able to see that mm-hmm. can be like, all right, maybe it isn't going to be my family that goes the other way. Other people have done this really hard thing, and they're my age, and they look like me. They're not a celebrity. They're just, like, Joe that lives over there and, like, decided to tell his brothers. Yeah. And the brothers were like,
0: oh, okay. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for letting me know something I, you really didn't have to tell me, like like this. And he's like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Um. I do kind of want to call out, and uh, maybe TikTok's not going to make this list, but for both of you, uh, what are some of your favorite resources for parents or you know family members of LGBTQ youth um, and the young people themselves?
2: Sure. So the Trevor Project is something mm-hmm. that I get on the radar of the young people themselves. So Trevor has... Um, Uh, crisis hotline, there's chat lines, there's social media opportunities. So this is just a really great resource for the youth who might be feeling some really powerful feelings and might be dealing with some really dark thoughts um, and to keep them safe so the Trevor Project without a doubt and honestly if a teen has that website up and then they don't want a parent to know like there's a quick little button they can hit and the website disappears mm. really fast well, That's helpful. so yes they have really designed everything very thoughtfully um, to protect the teens and their safety so the Trevor Project I would also mention the Family Acceptance Project for families mm-hmm. um, Um, That's where a lot of the discussion is around kind of increasing these behaviors of acceptance and decreasing the behaviors that are more rejecting in nature. So I would definitely point to that as a resource. Um, PFLAG is a great organization for families, and there are PFLAG meetings here in Long Island, um, as well as, of course, in the city and Westchester and the other communities that Northwell serves. Um, So PFLAG Long Island, I believe there's monthly meetings rotating between Suffolk and Nassau County. So Mm -hmm. I would definitely... um, point them in that resource uh, direction. For young people, I would encourage them to look out for Pride for Youth in the community, mm-hmm. um, the GSA at their school, and so on.
1: And Pride for Youth,
2: is, there's the coffee house and. There's coffee house on Fridays. Yes. There's uh, transaction, the trans identifying group. There's a lot of cool programs. And that's Pride
1: for Youth, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember the yep. name. I'm sitting here going, P-M- I know I've referred <laughs> so many times. What is that name? Yeah, they and a- they
2: go more by P F Y. So I kind of okay,
1: yeah. gotcha. And I know that like for Long Island based, there's also the Long Island Crisis Center. You can always call, and that's mm-hmm. for any kind of issue. And the people will talk you through. It could be two in the morning. I think they have chat now, text, um, and it allows teens to feel safe and be able to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. They're trained counselors. They have names that they only, like, you'll never be able to know who you're really talking to. Yeah. But it's a great resource you know, if you just need to talk and then they can give you resources too, right? Like they're able to then outsource and say, maybe you need this, maybe you need that.
2: Mm-hmm. And can I plug our own Northwell services of course as you can. Well? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> so um, across the street from where we are now at 410 Lakeville Road, we have our LGBTQ transgender program. So mm-hmm. we have medical and mental health services on site. We're also connected to uh, the surgery teams, the endo teams, um, all sorts of providers within Northwell who mm-hmm. certainly. Um, help the LGBTQ population. Um, Then there's the Freedman Center in uh, Manhattan at Lenox. Um, Again, similar kind of model. Um, There are resources in Westchester as well through Northwell. Um, so just wanted to put in that little plug. Yeah. Um, and I guess also I'll just mention real quick, I work with the H- uh, the Young Adult HIV Program as well. So should there be interest in um, HIV prevention medication in the population, definitely um, keep in mind that our Center for Young Adult, Adolescent, and Pediatric HIV. Okay. Uh, so at the end
0: of every episode, we do a TLDR, which was included in this prompt. I've had a knack for picking a lot of them that have them, uh, but it's short for too long, didn't read, if you didn't know. Thank I've taught you something. You're welcome. I <laughs> didn't know the first time either. Uh, and so maybe a TLDR for this one is, you know, just because you maybe don't have biases in your external relationships, it doesn't mean you don't have them in your own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're dealing with someone in, say, a husband, that does, Um Approach it in a non-confrontational, not-in-the-moment-of-it way and try to just let them know how you feel about it and then try to educate them specific to this context uh, about the kind of damaging effects that the comments can have. And also remember, your children are sponges and they can always hear and understand way more than what you think that they can.
2: And I would say it's never too early to intervene, so we're glad that this conversation is starting now while mm-hmm. the kids are young. Yeah.
1: Sounds good to me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well,
0: thank you, ladies. Uh, I will be sure to include all the resources that we've talked about and any kind of related links, uh, as well as any uh, links to your how to contact both of you in our description uh, below. And thank you for being here,
2: and thank you for listening to Just Curious.
1: Thank you. Thank
2: you, and happy Pride Month. <laughs>